Hello. I'd like to preface this episode by saying that the amount of times you're about to hear the words incredible and the word problematic is obscene. Consider yourself warned. An artist's duty, as far as I'm concerned, is to affect the times. I think that is true of, of, of painters, sculptors, poets, musicians. I, it's because I'm concerned it's their choice. But I choose to reflect. Welcome to Female Gaze. Did you guys hate that as much as I did? Perfect. Um, special episode today. Um, it is just me, Chrissy. Um, we are missing Molly, but she's with us in spirit. Molly this week is working on a uh, new project for another film festival, so we're so excited to um, support her in that, and uh, we're missing her beautiful wisdoms during this episode, but um, I fortunately am able to get to know my listeners on a more personal level, um, which is really exciting, and um, I want to thank you all for sharing this space with me. So uh, let's get down to it. Um, I'm Chrissy, if you don't know that already, um, co-host of Female Gaze with Molly, and uh, so... Brass Tacks is, I love film so much. It's it's everything to me. It's what I geek out about. It's what I escape to. Um, I think Molly put it perfectly last time, uh, during one of our first episodes, we were discussing why she and I gravitated towards film so much. Um, and uh, she put it perfectly. I think it's because both of us, you know, have, A, we're creatives by nature, um, so that's a big piece of it. And then B, um, when you struggle with um, mental illness and things of that nature, it is a beautiful um, escape. It, it's to to go and be lost in another world for a bit. And, and it really um, pulls you out of those um, in-the-moment anxieties that one may have. Um, or fear, existential crisis, like, not that I'm saying, hey, don't go to therapy, just watch movies all the time and drown it all out. Not trying to say that at all. However, sometimes uh, watching a movie can not only be a beautiful coping mechanism, but it also just allows the mind to uh, explore some be- like uh, incredible places. And so I think that's a big piece of why we've always loved it. Um, so, uh, very excited to answer all these beautiful, wonderful, awesome questions that you guys, oh my god, I'm so sorry, I'm like the biggest nerd, um, but you guys sent some really incredible questions and I am so excited to talk to you about them and why film is, uh, a part of me and, uh, so let's dive right in, um, so our first question is from... Eka, uh, I know Eka from uh, Hastings, incredible person. Um, anyway, her question is, what genre do you gravitate towards and why? And I love this question specifically because of how changeful it is. Um, if you had asked me this question back in like mid-2000s, I probably would have said, um, you know, like, 
dramas and and romances primarily and then like comedy uh like indie comedies were like my um kind of like my my getaway and then my art was like uh drama and 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 dramedies and romances and and uh things of that nature so um now however if you were to ask me um honestly i love surrealism uh uh it's I just love the bounds of the human mind, and by bounds I mean lack of them. There, there are none, um, and so it's. I, I find surrealism to be like such an incredible genre. Horror is um, a big piece of that, and I, I love uh, horror. I used to be a very scared kid. I could never even see a trailer for a film, or I'd freak out. Um, that like a, a horror film. Um, and then, uh, I was doing community theater in like middle school and we were in this, or no, I was not in this play, but I had several friends, um, from the community theater that was, that were in the play and by working behind the scenes with them and also just hearing their experience with it, it took a lot of, it was a Halloween show and it took a lot of like the scary creepiness out of the show itself, like being behind the scenes of it. And it, that moment kind of just took away all of my fears uh, around horror. Be- uh, well, that's not entirely true because, you know, I can still watch a horror film and, and leave feeling unsettled and, and definitely be thinking about it for days afterwards and maybe have a little issue sleeping that night. But um, it's uh, I approach it now with such a, such a curiosity versus, like, just accepting it at face value and like this could happen i could get murdered no so that's uh (laughs) that's not where i am anymore um so i love i love the creativity that the horror genre provides um however i'm still such a sucker for like um a good drama good romance uh uh honestly when you get down to it it's story 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 with a cherry of originality um you know uh, originality obviously plays much bigger piece than just cherry on top but um you know the the writing and the dialogue and the nature of stories is why i gravitate towards specific movies so um it is kind of hard to limit yourself but i think yeah the creativity that um not only with like concepts but with like special effects and visual effects and things of that nature that horror provides it's really interesting um uh is it going to be a genre that i work exclusively in definitely not um i i would never limit myself in that way and i think there are a lot of stories to be told um in many facets and fashions so um great question thank you so much um oh uh and she actually sent another really brilliant question. This is also from Eka. Uh, what was the first film to make a big impact on you? And does it stand the test of time for you? Excellent question. Um, ooh, first, like, big, big, like, film. I, I want to do, like, a cinephile impact. Because, you know, there were films as a kid that, you know, I, I loved. But I feel like for the nature of this question, I want to focus more on, like, movies that made me want to become a filmmaker. And, um... I would say definitely, hmm, oh man, uh, this is such a hard question. Uh, yeah, I've actually, I've been simmering on this one for like 
a, a day-ish or a couple, few hours now and I still am like struggling because like there are so many that are popping up at once. Uh, the first one um, is Ter- Terrence Malick's Tree of Life, uh, one of my one of the big impacts on me as a as a film lover. I was like, film can be this way. Incredible. Um, if you're not familiar with the film, it is very cinematography heavy, um, which is my jam. <laughs> I love cinematography. I love. Um, I love the visual aspect that uh, film provides. Obviously, that's that's what film is. But um, as a person who has a young, when I was younger, I dabbled a lot in photography, and I still do. But like, um, I think uh, cinematography and f- just photography itself. Um, if you're a lover of uh, the art of photography, you're going to end up um, grasping onto cinematography specifically. Um, and yeah, Terrence Malick, cinematographer knocks it out of the park I loved his like just doesn't give a single shit about the traditional storytelling aspect of things um and tree of life is one of those um it's incredible incredible film um highly recommend another film um and I I do believe it uh, withholds the test of time uh, one film that I actually watched recently that I have a little bit of a different feeling was was Jane Eyre. Um, the uh, I believe it was a two thousand. Ooh, pardon me, everyone. I'm looking this up as we speak. Jane Eyre, two thousand and eleven. That film. Uh, I was obsessed with that film. Again, costume design, acting, cinematography. Um, the color palette of the film, the writing, which a the writing is uh, Bronte, since uh, uh, Charlotte Bronte. So um, of course it's going to be great dialogue because it came from a Bronte sister. Um, so it was just an incredible film altogether. However, upon rewatching it, the film itself as a film holds up. Um, my feelings towards. Uh, um, the lead, the male lead in the film, the romantic interest that you're supposed to be fawning over. Um, turns out he sucks, and uh, he always did. It, it's not like it's a new thing. He always sucked. Um, that's part of Mr. Rochester as a character, but um, it really hit me this time as to, like, I really romanticized, like, his and Jane's relationship in the film, and uh, I don't feel that way at all anymore. Now I'm like, oh, girl, get out. Don't even waste your time. He doesn't see your worth or your value. He called you ugly to your face. Like, no. No. Um, still, highly recommend the movie overall. Like, anyway, it's still brilliant story, brilliant film. Um, so, yeah, that's that's just a touch. Uh, I could give you so many more. Um my life is consumed by movies. Um, so I'm sure more will come up as the podcast continues as well. But that's, uh, that's all I got for, for at the moment. But again, excellent questions, Eka. Thank you so much. Um, here's a fun one. This comes from Kenneth. Um, best Heath Ledger film. Ah, uh, yes. Okay, Heath Ledger. Um, you know, as a, as a millennial who's attracted to men, excellent man um i think a, a little excellent actor too um and i think a lot of um like i think 
if I were to say that his best film would be dependent on what moment in time you were to ask me. Because if you were to ask me as a kid, obviously I would say 10 things I hate about you. Um, I was really, you know, interested in him. <laughs> maybe not so much as an actor, maybe more so as a commodity, which is terrible. Um, but this is also what female gaze is about, is recognizing your own problematic behaviors. And, you know, definitely I think I made some films bigger in my head because I was just obsessed with the act actress or actor in them versus the actual quality of the film itself um but obviously i think most of us can agree heath ledger's joker is timeless like brilliant acting he knocked it out of a park and that feels like such a complicated statement because um if you're familiar with uh, the aftermath of that film um, it took such a toll on his mental health doing that character that he ended up committing suicide. Um, and that is when film gets tricky, um, when you maybe don't protect your so mu- uh, yourself so much. And I think that that is the challenge that so many actors have to take on when doing quality acting. Like, so much of good acting comes from, like, fully embracing your character's Um, narrative and that narrative can be like a dark painful terrifying place at times and so am I am I grateful that we got to see that amazing performance on screen absolutely um do I think it was worth his life of course not um I would rather not have a Batman film than have Heath Ledger here still making movies with us but Again, it's a complicated thing. There's probably a lot of other factors involved. It was probably wasn't solely just being the Joker that that made him go to such a dark place, but I'm definite, definitely sure that it didn't help. Um, also, uh, him and Brokeback Mountain, incredible. And I will circle back to that one because it, it, it ties in with another question later. Um, uh, actually, let's just tie it in right now. Um Elizabeth uh, sent us a couple great, great questions. Um, what are your fave um, LGBTQ movies and why? Uh, so obviously Brokeback Mountain was one of the first like LGBT movies I ever saw. Um, and it it stuck with me. <laughs> I watched it. I watched it on my cell phone. Um, no, just kidding. I watched it on my iPod Touch Uh over and over and over and over again um, after upon the first watching. I had to do it in secret <laughs> because I come from a very um, traditional Catholic family. And so uh, I definitely didn't tell anyone that I was like just re-watching Brokeback Mountain over and over again in my room. And, you know, it should have. I think, you know, I was so enamored by the story, A, because it's a beautiful one, the film itself is incredible, but um, B, also, uh, you know, there was my own queerness that I had not yet fully unpacked. Um, I was aware, but also choosing to be unaware at the same time. So um, I think that was an outlet for me. Also, one of the, actually, this is one um, LGBTQ movie uh, that, I remember seeing and being just like disturbed by not because it's LGBTQ, but because again, I was still in denial. Uh, it's called, but I'm a cheerleader. 
Uh, Natasha Leon, incredible. Um, it's a comedy, um, very sur- kind of surrealist comedy a little bit. Um, fun movie. I haven't watched in a long time, so if there are problematic aspects of it, feel free to let us know in the comments. Um, other great LGBTQ movies, obviously Portrait of a Lady on Fire is fire. Um, Call Me By Your Name, I love it. I know it has um, some complicated, uh, problematic aspects to it, like the age difference in the character, in the characters. But overall, I, I really did enjoy the storytelling of it and um, enjoyed the characters themselves um, and the the scores and and um, songs provided by Sufjan Stevens. Incredible. Um, Disobedience. If you have not seen a good lesbian movie. Obviously, Portrait of Leaning on Fire. Watch that. Then, watch Disobedience. Oh, I loved this movie. Another movie where it was, I watched it and I was like, alrighty, I love this film. Um, it's not, an, it's not, uh, I'm making it sound very fun and, and like poppy and flamboyant. It's not. It's a, it's a very um, hard movie to watch uh, about two uh, lesbians in a um, Hasidic Jew culture, Jewish culture, um, which obviously is a is a no no. So, but beautiful performances um, by Rachel McAdams and um, Rachel. Oh, yoy Wise, yes. Um, <laughs> great, great movie. Beautifully shot. Beautifully told. Loved it. Uh, if you've noticed that I haven't said um, blue is the warmest color, it's because was I into the film when it was originally released? Of course, so were all of us. Um, however, if you do your research on the film, it's a very it's uh, got very problematic aspects, not necessarily in the film itself, but in the ways that it was filmed, in the in the uncomfortable uncomfortable positions that the actresses were forced to be in. Um, those were big factors as why I'm excluding it from this list. Another really great one about trans culture, uh, Fantastic Woman, foreign film. I believe it won um, three years ago for Best Foreign Film. Incredible movie. I watched it on an airplane, cried the whole way. Uh, please watch it. Um, yes, it's subtitled. Get over it. It's incredible. You need to watch this movie about like this glorious trans woman just coming into her own. It's It's beautiful. Then, again, back to Brokeback Mountain, incredible. Well, I keep using the word incredible, sorry. I, I definitely have strong opinions about this, and that opinion is incredible. Another, uh, this will be my last for the list today. Um, uh, a Single Man is a really important film, for, or it was an important film for me to watch because uh, it dives into the comp- complexities of not only being gay, a gay man in the 60s, but also dealing with the loss of your partner during a time when, um, you know, gay relationships were not seen as valid. So um, I don't want to give too much away about the film, but there is the main character suffers a big loss um, and is grieving, uh, but is not allowed to have closure because of basically because the relationship he had with this person that he's grieving is, you know, seen as sinful, invalid. Uh, Like, even though they were together in a loving 
relationship for 16 years and then his partner passes away in a in a tragic accident and he um doesn't get to go to the funeral doesn't get to even speak to his lover's parents doesn't doesn't even um get to get to he he finds out that his partner has died a whole 24 hours after it happens um because the the partner's parents refused to call him. So, like, these are important things that films um, need to be talking about, too, when we talk about gay cultures. Uh, we need to kind of give that spotlight on, like, the trials of it. It's not just, it's not just like, slurs and, and abuse and things like that. Obviously, very important things, but it's also about um, the lack of respect that these relationships received and, and these painful experiences that you wouldn't even expect to have in your own life. Um, I'm sure if you have a, a husband or wife in your life and they were to pass away, you could not imagine being, you know, pulled from them and then not even being able to go to the funeral or say goodbye or, or not even hear about it for a full day later. Um, so these are all great things that the film touched on. Okay, so next question. Um, which Shrek movie is your favorite and why is it two? It is two, and I'll tell you why it's my favorite. Special features, American Idol scene. Also, all the cultural um, Easter eggs in the film I thought were just, like, so enjoyable at the time. Um, so that's my answer there. Uh so, what are some of your unpopular movie opinions? Ooh, this comes from uh, Marta. Um, and some of our unpopular movies' opinions. Ooh, this is a tricky one. Um, I think I'm on the fence about Timothy Chalamet, and I'll tell you why. Is he attractive? Sure. Is he a good actor? I think he can be. Um... If you've seen Beautiful Boy, he's the reason why I'm questioning. Other film season, um, he's good. He's not like a bad actor per se, but he definitely has his wheelhouse, which tends to be brooding, moody boys, um, you know, of that 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 kind of thing. So I I I'm on the fence about his acting skills. I'm very interested to see how he takes on the the character in in Dune the lead in Dune. I love the original Dune, um, so I'm very excited about this remake. Um, but I will say his performance in Beautiful Boy is why I am questioning that opinion I have because his he does a phenomenal job um, of portraying a person with addiction, and I, I thought that was great. Um, and it really, that film moved me for many reasons uh, and my family. So... Um, that's my feelings about that. Other feelings I have that are unpopular. Um, hmm. Oh, I know I have some unpopular opinions. I'll come back to it, this one, um, if something pops up. Uh, yeah. Okay, here's a great question from Patricia. You have the ability to watch film with a creative and critical eye. Is that something you had to train yourself to do, or is it just something that comes naturally? Ooh, I this is 
the, the, the answer is it's both. I think it's definitely both. Now, for me personally, I don't know what it is. I've always gravitated towards um, imagery and visuals. Um, uh, and I just remember being overwhelmed by seeing like bombastic things on screen. Um, and And I feel like I do view life with a with a filmmaker's eye because like I see the sun hit the corner of a window a specific way and I'm like ah this would be a beautiful shot Uh, I see like or or I hear the way um, my sister's footsteps are across the wood floor in our apartment and I'm like that could be a great sound (laughs) um so it's like I don't know I I think very much a lot of it comes naturally for me personally however I feel like I've also grown a lot um, since since I've taken on the identity of a film lover, cinephile, hope to hopefully soon director and filmmaker. Um, I I think I have improved my my vision and opinions on movies and my my ability to see uh, movies in in all of their aspects versus being like. Well, I liked this part of a movie, but I didn't like this part of the story, so therefore I don't like it. Or, you know, like, I definitely have a more measured way of looking at films of, like, this is what they did well, this is what they didn't do well. Um, And for me, I can usually find critiques and praises for anything I watch. Um, And it really comes down to, if I love a movie, it's just because I had fewer critiques and more praises, and then vice versa. Um... Which is a, you know, something you definitely can train. Read uh, works from uh, filmmakers. Uh, watch interviews. Watch uh, educational YouTube things online. Uh, no Film School is a great resource uh, for something free if you want to just check out YouTube. There are so many podcasts available like this one. Um, so, yeah, uh, great question. Thank you, Patricia. Um, uh, I feel like this goes in uh, really well in the critiques of a movie that ties in well with this next question that I have coming from Dylan. Uh, Dylan is wanting my honest opinion about Working Girl. Um, She gave a quick little um, anecdote about her own opinions about it. And uh, I think Working Girl is, it's a film from the 80s. It's pretty, pretty well known. And it's somewhat got the label of being a feminist film and I think you know there are definitely feminist aspects and for the 80s yeah it was a feminist film sure do we can we still call it that today I'm gonna say a hard no hard no um there are just too many uh problematic aspects of it that just don't carry that they don't drive well with the term feminist um we have women pitted against each other in the workplace and is is that um, healed in any way at the end? No. Like, it's um, we hate successful women. We love women who are underdogs. Like, that's very much the vibe of the film. Like, like be an underdog and work your way up. And if you are successful already, you're unlikable. And uh, um, also, all the male characters in it are disgusting. And I am so sorry. I hope that doesn't offend any men uh, that listen to this podcast. Uh, but... Harrison Ford plays the love interest. Um, he, the first scene that you see him in, he 
immediately gets the lead character drunk um, with with the uh, intention of taking her home and sleeping with her. Um, he does this knowing that she doesn't know who he really is, and she has an interview with him or a meeting with him uh, about a big deal the next day. Um, so we already have a lot of problematic things there. So Dylan, short, short answer... I didn't love this film, really. Uh, were there some great one-liners, some good, like, feminist zingers? Absolutely. Overall, I'm going to say it's a flop when it comes to a feminist film, and, and you know, that might actually um, tie back into unpopular opinions. I don't think it's that good of a movie. Um, so that's where I stand on, on Working Girls. Um, but, yeah. Um, all right, here's another great question from John. Um, John asks, uh, do I have a favorite cinematographer? And if so, what do you think is, uh, their best work? I do. I do have a favorite. I mean, I have several cinematographers. Um, I also want to make sure I have time to get to all of the questions. So I would say my top cinematographer all time is Emmanuel Lubezki. Um, and if that name's not familiar to you, he, okay, did all of Terrence, not all, I think the majority of Terrence Malick's films, actually it may be all now that I'm thinking about it. Um, so he does most of Terrence Malick's films with him. Um, I would say Tree of Life again and New World, both two movies with incredible cinematography. Um, the Revenant, he did The Revenant. Um, Birdman. I would say Birdman, it might, it might, and I know that's such a, like, obvious, like, film boy answer. But come on, guys. It was, like, filmed in one shot. That's incredible. And, and you know, it wasn't fully, the whole movie wasn't just one, one take. But it pretty much was. And I think there was only one cut in the whole movie. Um, there may have been two, but I'm pretty sure it was just one. Um, anyway... Uh, Birdman is insane. Love that movie. Love that cinematography. Revenant, also incredible cinematography. Took my breath away. Um, but yeah, if you are a cinematography lover and you haven't seen Tree of Life, um, watch it. Watch that and then watch, um, watch, uh, uh, A New World, um, by, both, both by Terrence Malick, Malick and, uh, with the cinematography by Emmanuel. Um, Thank you for that question. Um, I will also say that uh, the cinematographer that I talked about on Mandy, uh, I think that's really his only first big feature that he's done, but he's just from that alone, I'm like, are you my new favorite cinematographer? I don't know. We'll find out. Um, anyway, so yeah, very excited to see more of his work as well. Um, so thank you for that question, John. Um, all right. What other? I know I have so many more questions. Um all right, um, Jenny asks us uh, what we think about uh, music in movies and how it makes me feel, atmospheric versus playlist, that kind of thing. Um, yeah, oh my gosh, scores in movies, uh, I, they are such a fundamental piece of, the, of how a film works. Um, uh, if you know anything about Dread, like, 
that's how we build dread in like horror films is is sound or lack of sound sometimes that in itself can be something uh again sorry to keep bringing up mandy i guess it made an impact but johan johansson uh a just as a score uh a musician and score writer in general uh incredible man may he rest in peace um uh also did blade runner uh, the new the new Blade Runner film with uh, Ryan Gosling, but his score in Mandy just haunting. Um, do I prefer scores over playlists? That's a really great question. Um, I actually don't know the answer to that because uh, I think I would say it's it's heavily dependent on the film itself. Um, yeah, I would say yeah, it, it depends on the film. Like would a would a a soundtrack playlist jive well in, in a movie like, um, like, like, oh, great example. Uh, Quentin Tarantino, a lot of his films are less of score, um, and more of just, just like, you know, great, great songs, things like that. Um, searching for words here. Um, but he also does amazing scores as well with Ennio Morricone. I'm, I know I'm botching his name. Uh, that's why I'm sliding through it. Ennio. But Ennio um, is another great uh, another great musician. And uh, um, he, his, his work is timeless. Uh, he is the, like, beauty in every, in every spaghetti western. I think he carries those films more than the actors do. Um, so, yeah, I would say Ennio is a great one. But... It really depends on the atmosphere of the movie. And then you have musicals where they, they are, are, you know, original works and they're not necessarily scores, but they're, they're songs and they're fun. Um, do I love a movie that has a great playlist that I can, you know, just add on Spotify and listen to? Absolutely. Um, uh, I don't love this movie, but I do love the playlist, uh, the, the, the soundtrack of it. It's... Um, Perks of Being a Wallflower. I loved the book. Did not like the movie. Loved the soundtrack. All right. Next question. Thank you, Jenny. Um, I'm trying to think. Hmm. There are so many. You guys are so awesome, A, for doing this. Uh, oh, here's a really great one. Um, this comes from Anna. And she says, what do you think of the hero's journey and which movies defy that story arc? I've been stuck on this question for a minute and I'll tell you why, guys. Uh, because the hero's journey, and maybe I need to do like more in-depth like research and write a thesis on it to know for sure how I feel, but hero's journey is implemented in most films, I feel like. Um, and as I was doing research... Um, if you're not familiar with the hero's journey, it's very much, um, just to give you a quick idea of it. Um, it's basically, you know, like, uh, your, your climax, uh, you have, you have the call to adventure, um, then the threshold, and you have helpers and mentors, and that takes you into the abyss, which encapsulates death and rebirth. Basically, Hero's Journey is, you know, your call to action. You do your, your, um, 
your your uh, your journey. You, if you're the protagonist, you hopefully become changed at the end, and hopefully for the better. Um, so I feel like there are uh, aspects of that in so many films, even in films that um, a lot of people don't consider to be heroes journey films, like Pulp Fiction. Uh, it's a non-linear film, so a lot of times it's considered not a hero's journey film. However, even though it's through vignettes and we're just getting subtle looks into each story, I feel like it is a little bit of hero's journey because we do have um, Bruce Willis's character, uh, you know, having to deal with um, the imp, <laughs> and like that seems like a, his conflict, and he come comes through it and is definitely changed by it at the end. So this was a tricky question for me. And I think what I love about this question is what it means. And it means that we need more films that maybe defy this genre of, 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 uh, or like these, these types of like just story arcs. Um, uh, incredible writer, filmmaker and actress, uh, Britt Marling. She made the OA, which is one of my all time favorite series on Netflix. Um, unfortunately it was canceled. Boo. We hate women apparently that make good work. Um, great, great, great series. Highly recommend. But she mentioned in a, in a, um, in a, uh, essay that she wrote, uh, fairly recently that like, um, Hero's Journey very much feels like the male orgasm where it's like a build-up, build-up, and then like, yeah. And I love films that don't necessarily have that. Or just like films that are just streams of consciousness films. Like uh, like Linklater, a lot of his films are streams of consciousness. You have like the before and after uh, trilogy um, with Ethan Hawke and... I love that series. Um, highly recommend as well. And then like Boyhood, another kind of stream of consciousness movie. Dazed and Confused. Um, uh, Dinner with Andre is one that I would consider like a stream of consciousness film. There's there's a lot of them that I'm not thinking about now. But I think this is a great uh, call to action. Future filmmakers, let's defy the hero's journey. Let's see what we can do creatively um, to expand um so excellent question anna uh thank you uh here's a fun one is ursula actually the hero in little mermaid okay this comes from kenneth um kenneth this is a really great question so i'm gonna be blunt and honest i haven't seen little mermaid since i was a wee one um uh, and i loved it but uh and i love i love now how Millennials and Gen Zs are basically like, screw Ariel, Ursula is the, the, the savior. And, like, I always love, like, kind of twists that happen um, after, like, uh, uh, years, years of years passing and time passing, people having different opinions about a movie later on. And uh, I think this is one of them. Um, however, I'm going to say no. And I'll tell you why. Um, because I still think, again, it's a kid's movie back in a time when they weren't trying to cater to feminists. But, um, yeah, it's still pitting women against women. That's where we are with uh, that. Um, Ursula is envious of Ariel's voice um, and her body and her beauty. And um, so I think 
I think, yeah, I'm going to say she's not necessarily the hero of the film because it's still, again, that that uh, that tension amongst women. Like, like, we can't be too beautiful, talented, incredible functioning women at once. There can only be one. Um, and, you know, that's a little bit where, uh, and, you know, not only is sexism towards us made us that way, but also a little bit of probably internalized misogyny. You know, I, I definitely think men uh, live in, it, you know, unfortunately men have to deal with a very cutthroat style <laughs> a lot of times, and that's that's why feminism is beautiful for all of us because it is the antithesis of that and the antithesis of you have to be the best and the strongest at all times. And um, anyway... So I think, like, the idea of, like, no, I have to be on top. I have to be the epitome of human excellence. Um, I think when that appears in women, you know, it's also our internalized misogyny. Or maybe even it's just our human nature. Maybe we're just competitive beings, too. I think a lot of that, though, is um, less about biology and more so about the society we live in. Um, But... Yeah, I'm going to say, is Ursula, Ursula a fun character who got a bad rap and is now maybe getting more praise? Absolutely, I love that for her. But do I think that she is the hero of the film or or a feminist icon? I'm going to maybe say no. Is that an unpopular opinion? Maybe. <laughs> um, other unpopular opinions, I don't think Kristen Stewart is a good actress, Will I keep watching her and everything because that girl's jawline makes my heart race? Absolutely. Um, oh, what else? Um, have I already? I think there's a... We may be uh, dialing, and, dialing it down. I think, I think that might be... I think we're coming up on our time. Um... However, uh, I just, I loved, I loved these questions, guys. I would love to do this again, too, because I think there's um, so much more to be said and more, more specifics about, about things, about films. Um, uh, yeah, uh, here's an unpopular opinion not related to film. I think Cats the Musical is fantastic, and I know that makes me, like, probably a scum of the earth. I do not care. Uh, um, I love that movie. It made me everything who I am today. Um, oh, all right. Well, thank you so much, guys. Um, this has been a really fun episode. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to just kind of chat with you in what feels like somewhat of a one-on-one basis um, about movies, about um stuff like that. If you would like to, us to do an episode like this again, uh, I definitely think we should do one with Molly. And um, if you'd like to see more um, interactive episodes like this where you, your voice is heard, um, we would love to do that with you. Um, thank you so much. And uh, I can't wait to talk to you guys again. Um, look forward to chatting about our next movie with you. Keep it real. Keep it safe. Keep it feminist. Have a good night. So I don't think you have a choice. You, how can you be an artist and not reflect the times? That to me is the definition of an artist.
The music for today's podcast is The Definition by CJ. You can find more of his music at cjmakesbeats.bandcamp.com.